Hey folks, Andy Patton here, joined by NBA writer and Gonzaga alumni Jackson Frank. Jackson and I are going to discuss a handful of the Gonzaga alumni currently playing in the NBA and how their seasons have gone so far, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. All right, super excited for today's episode, joined by special guest Jackson Frank. Jackson has written for basically every NBA site that I saw. I was going to put them all down, but I thought it would be easier to just say he writes at a lot of places. <laughs> um, he's been doing that for a long time, obviously, Gonzaga alumni. Uh, outstanding Twitter follow. If you do not follow Jackson, you can find him at JackFrank underscore JJF on Twitter. Jackson, thank you so much for taking the time today to jump on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm excited to talk about some Gonzaga, former Gonzaga players, and they're, you know, like we were talking before the show, there's an increasing number of them yeah. playing key roles on some pretty good teams, and so it's it's always enjoyable when there's more than just one one or two guys to discuss. Yeah, this used to, yeah, this wouldn't have been a, a segment you'd have been able to do very often on a Gonzaga podcast, even like four or five years ago, it would have been pretty much not impossible, but you'd have been talking about Kelly Olenek a lot because that was about the only guy for a while. And the, uh, it's been just such a surge, you know, and I think I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, as somebody who's followed Gonzaga for, for a while before you were even writing about the NBA. Um, it feels to me like there's a lot of guys who probably should have gotten a shot and never did. Um, do you think that that's kind of the case or is it more of just, they got a lot more, better talent in the last couple of years. And that's why we've seen this kind of explosion of guys in the league. Yeah. It's tough for me to know exactly just because I think yeah. my, the nuance that I have when it comes to basketball analysis between both Gonzaga players themselves and, you know, yeah. what warrants a spot in the NBA, um, mm -hmm. it really you know, kind of grown, but uh, yeah. I think it's more the latter in the sense that as Gonzaga's quality of recruits mm -hmm. and talent has, has increased, um, mm -hmm. they've had more NBA caliber guys. I think you're, I mean, I think we'll get into it, but like you, there still is a certain level of disconnect between what thrives for most of the teams Gonzaga or what thrives against most of the teams that Gonzaga plays, yeah. uh, and what thrives in the NBA. I mean, it's just a, it's just reality. There's you know, there's more that goes into it than just athleticism, and that's a broad term mm -hmm. itself. But that still does matter to an extent. Um, and so I, I do feel like you know you've seen Gonzaga be able to thrive a little more when they get guys like Brandon Clark or even yeah, Jalen sure. Suggs. Or you know, even Killian Tilly is a pretty, you know, pretty solid athlete. So mm -hmm. um, that helps. I wish I had, you know, I wish I'd been watching the NBA and watching Gonzaga in depth since 2005 or something like right. that, or even 2012, 2011. But I just yeah. don't have that level of nuance, unfortunately. But I think you know, it, I lean more toward the latter. I just, I think yeah. that's fair too, right? Because Gonzaga's had, you know, some of its best team or just its best teams, you know, in the last five or six years, when they've had more yeah. guys, so they sent more guys to the league, and not just guys to the league, but ones who actually, you know you know, make, make them make a dent or not make a dent, excuse me, but, you know, are playing rotation minutes. I mean, look, we got Kevin Pangos who yeah. is in the NBA, but has been kind of, he's a little more on the fringes when overseas. And now you have right. other guys are sitting there playing key roles, you know, at Gonzaga and then also key roles in the NBA, which is really cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of guys who, who are going straight into the league and playing big time minutes, uh, you know, and that's been something that, you know, when you look through the even the players, Gonzaga has frequently had at least one or two guys in the league uh, for, you know, the last couple of decades, but rarely have they been, you know, it was like Roni Turioff was like a, a shining example of like a guy who was actually in the league and like playing minutes and now like there are multiple guys who are playing as many minutes as Roni Turioff was playing when he was in the league. It's just, it's, it's changed so much and it's been such a good thing to see. And now they got all-stars and that's kind of, you know, where I wanted to start with this show. Uh, you did a, a really nice article, a couple, maybe a month ago now uh, about DeMontis Sabonis, obviously a, a, a player who's aspiring to be a three-time all-star. His last week has certainly helped his cause for potentially being an all-star. He had a triple-double, a 42-point game. Uh, against Utah without Rudy Gobert, uh, just a, a monster week for him. Um, and when you wrote that article a couple of weeks ago, you kind of talked about the uh, the Rick Carlisle experiment in Indiana and how that has kind of impacted Sabonis's usage. And I'm curious if you could kind of touch a little bit on what that article, kind of what you talked about in that article, and maybe if you've noticed. And I don't know if you you know how much you've paid attention since then, but if you've noticed anything different with his usage lately, or if he's just kind of making the best of a a not great situation in Indiana. Yeah. So the basis of that article was talking about how, you know, the Pacers weren't doing that well and they still, I think they're 15 and 25, maybe 15, and 26. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. They're, they're near the bottom of the East, which is, you know, probably lower than they should be, you know, despite some injuries and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, last year when someone had his best season under Nate Bjorkren, um, obviously Bjorkren has own issues, but they really, really kind of empowered Sabonis to, you know, he would bring the ball up the floor sometimes lead transition. He would, he would, if he wasn't, if there wasn't a transition opportunity, be able to kind of back his way into the post against a mismatch, makes a pattern from the elbows, and they would sprinkle in, you know, dribble handoffs and, and, hit, and him rolling the rim because he's a very good finisher and a very good passer and arguably the best screener in the NBA. Um, and this year, it's been largely the dribble handoffs and, and pick and roll, which is fine, you know, in 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 a vacuum, it's okay to say, you know, maybe it's tough to always run everything through Sabonis because he has some limitations. He's pretty dominant with his left hand. He's not a great outside shooter, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, Indiana doesn't have the ball handlers to to use that strategy much. Malcolm Brogdon's been very good, but he's a guy that's still overextended. Karis Levert has really struggled this year. They're running pick and rolls with guys like uh, Justin Holiday at times, Torrey Craig, guys who should really be more spotting up, attacking closeouts, cutting. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was the basis of it. It's like, yeah, I understand that Sabonis in a great offense probably isn't the guy that you're building everything around he's not your 1a he's probably a 1b or a 2 right. um, i get that or second option whatever you want to frame it as but you don't have a better option available and so it was it was kind of as though they were trying to build this offense like they ran in dallas with luka Doncic and you know all those shooters and whatnot um but they didn't have the personnel for it. they were trying to put all these other these flawed ball handlers to replicate what Doncic does but it doesn't work and so i was talking mm-hmm. about how you got to you know it's not ideal that you know you're probably not going to put together a top six offense and then if that's the bonuses is your help and he's getting all these post touches and whatnot, but yeah. you can be better than, I don't know where they were at the time. I think I listed in there maybe 15th, 17th somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. You can be better than what you are. And so it, it was talking about that, but it recently largely due to circumstance, you've seen at times he has gotten some more touches because Malcolm Brogdon's been out for, I think at least a week, maybe a week yeah. and a half. Now he was out at times early in the year with an injury or two. Um, and so it's definitely, you know, it's improved a little bit, but, um, I'll be interested to see what happens when Brogdon comes back because, as you mentioned, Sabonis has been playing pretty well. Of course, it hasn't coincided in wins for the Pacers. I think they've lost, I want to say, seven out of eight now. Unfortunately, um, a lot of close losses. You look at this, look at the regular now. Eight lose by eight, by eight, two, four, ten, eight, three. The last one was in overtime. 
against mm-hmm. another team in Boston who hasn't been great this year, unfortunately. Um, so that was kind of the basis of it. And you're just kind of looking at the idea that, yeah, ideally if you had a guy like Luca or even a guy who's maybe a step below Luca because, you know, he's right at the top among guys right. running a offense through in the NBA, um, then yeah, I get using some bonus that way, but you don't have a better option. So right. it was just discussing that, but yeah, I have seen a little bit of, of, you know, role shit. I haven't caught a game in probably about a week from them, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, and the kid, I think he had like 20, he had 20, 32, excuse me, against uh, Indiana against Cleveland. Last, mm-hmm. And then that's the last game I caught from them. And he, you know, caught, got a few more touches in the post, leaving the offense on the break a little more. So uh, pretty curious to see what happens when Levert or excuse me, when Rod comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, if he even does come back before a trade happens, because Sabonis right. has been, you know, Brogdon can't be traded because he signed the extension, but Sabonis obviously has been involved in rumors now for about a couple of months. So um, definitely it's something to monitor, but uh, yeah, he's been on a roll even so. And that's the other thing is, yeah, like his individual numbers have been very good. Like he's, because a lot of passengers, he just kind of spoon fed touches. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's a really good finisher with incredible footwork and, you know, all those pivots and whatnot. Um, but I think the possessions outside of once the bonus is finishing plays haven't been as optimal for the entire team. So I think the line I tried to use is that like, it's simplified his role, but it's, it's made everything more challenging for everyone else. Right. Uh, it's not ideal. So um, kind of a long winded, you know, <laughs> segment there, but I hope it illuminates kind of why he's playing well, but maybe why he isn't you know, benefiting the entire team as much as, you know, would be ideal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you kind of touched on, obviously, Carlisle came over and kind of took over this team with the personnel already in place and tried to kind of shoehorn what he had success doing in Dallas, which I I think pretty clearly wasn't going to work. But obviously, he clearly didn't believe that and, and gave it a shot. But I'm always like, at least I can understand, you know, trying to, you know, you take over this personnel and you get, you know, you're gifted the guys that you get. That's kind of just the way that it works. But what has always baffled me about Sabonis's career in particular is, you know, Billy Donovan and the Thunder, they they chose him. They acquired him in a draft day trade. Like they picked him. And then in his first year, like they used him as if they had never watched him play basketball <laughs> before. And it was one of the most baffling things. Like this is different. It's still, they're still, they're at least utilizing him, even though they were trying to kind of stick him out around the three-point line a fair amount early in this season in Indiana. But in Oklahoma City, that was all they did, and that was not his game at all. And it's just I'm glad he's making a better situation out of it this year, at least statistically he's performing well. But, man, like I I cannot imagine – and we'll talk about it a little bit later with another player who's going to come up in a different segment who a team selected on draft day and didn't seem to know how to utilize. And I I don't really understand how – like I get Gonzaga basketball is – you know, it's not Duke – but you'd think you'd know what guys you're getting when, when you're picking these guys in the draft, but not not every time, apparently. Yeah, I think at least in the OKC, you know, not that they use them correctly, but I think you could at least make the case that, like, they had Russell Westbrook. I don't know. Did they have mm-hmm. – that was oh, that was Westbrook's MVP, or they had Victor Oladipo, Steven Adams. Like, they, they mm-hmm. had at least, like – Sabonis was a guy that probably, like, he had to fit more into an offense than he deserves sure. now, or, like, like the offense should be built around him, right? It should be built yeah. around him and Brogdon. So I could understand it then, yeah, but it was still weird. I think, like, and look at the numbers now, it's, this year is his highest three-point rate besides his, his rookie year. Right. Um, I don't think he's ever going to come back close to that rookie year. It's about 33% no. of his shots yeah. were uh, from, from beyond the arc, which is just wild. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think you know, there's definitely some parallels there. But obviously, yeah, he's he warrants a, a larger consideration of the offense these days and um, has done pretty well in it. You know, he's, his sister rate is down a little bit, but it's still, you know, the third – about – almost right in line with his you know, second highest mark behind last season. So yeah, um, still having a very good year. And um, I don't think he's quite going to get to that all-star level. Um, yeah. Some of that too is because people aren't just going to select him because 
you know, team people tend to look at, you know, record. I think to an extent yeah. you, there's like, I don't think record itself is how you should ever assess, you know, whether a player is deserving all-star, but I think, you know, there's at least some truth behind it. Like I'm not, I'm not saying he's the, he's the reason the Pacers aren't as good, but right. I think if he was having the same old impact he even had last year when he was an all-star, um, they would have at least a couple more. I'm not saying he's, again, he's not, he's not the reason, but right. um, I, I would probably have him just off there, but he's at least, you know, been in that top, you know, 15 to 17 right. uh, category among guys in the East, which is, which is really cool. I mean, to be considered an all-star for the third yeah. straight year um, is really awesome. Maybe even fourth straight year. I mean, I don't recall exactly what the conversation was like that, that second year in Indiana when he was really good, but mm-hmm. um, you know, still, still warrants consideration, which is cool. And they're still, you know, they're still, what three weeks until they finalize teams? So yeah, who knows? Injuries can happen. Maybe the Pacers find some some consistency. Sabonis continues to have monster games like he's had as of late, and you know the narrative turns a little bit. So we'll see. But yeah, he's absolutely in the conversation, which is really cool. He's having a good year despite not ideal circumstances, which I think is which is not a good thing. But I think it's it's a testament to the players when they can still thrive, even if they're not being used ideally. Absolutely. And I think, you know, th- there's a possibility of a trade too. You know, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I'm curious if there are, uh, if you've thought about teams that might make some sense for him, or if you think a trade is something that's going to happen, or if you think Indiana is going to kind of just bite it and maybe move Miles Turner and keep trying to trying to go through Sabonis instead. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know exactly, you know, you know, the Pacers are a team that don't have a huge media uh, footprint. Yeah. I mean, I follow a few people that I really, really enjoy. And so I try to keep up with that sort of thing um, and just reading some of it does seem like maybe Turner might be the guy who was more mm-hmm. likely to be moved. Just he's, he's been benched in some fourth. I don't know about bench. He's not closed some games in fourth quarters. He's not yeah. used ideally either. Um, so he feels a little more like a guy who is on the move. And I think maybe his skill set's a little easier to just put into a team yeah. rather than the Sabonis. You need to build around a little more because he's not, he's much worse defensively. He doesn't space the floor Whereas Turner. It's like, okay, you're going to, you're going to shoot threes. You're going to defend pick and rolls. You're going to anchor the paint. And that's pretty easy if we don't, if we need to start in center. But um, yeah, I think, you know, some teams that I, I, you can make some sense. Uh, I mentioned, you know, like Boston can make some sense. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they're a team that, uh, you know, it's maybe a bit of a murky fit with, you know, with guys like Al Horford and Robert Williams. I don't think you have to worry a ton long-term about fitting around Al Horford, but even, but Robert right. Williams, is like another, he's a big man who's, you know, taken some strides the last couple of years uh, and is, you know, just locked up long-term for extension there. So, but they make some sense. They could certainly use some some help offensively. Sabonis so would provide that. They have pretty good defense. I think they're sixth or seventh in defensive rating this year. It's been the offense that's really an issue for them. I think you know Sabonis being a guy who works in the pick and roll with Jason Tatum, when Jason Tatum draws double teams and stuff on on ball screens would help there. Um, just a little more ability to make some half and clo- closer to the basket. I think would help Boston a lot there. Um, again, it's still kind of murky because they have. Two of their better players are big men and locked up mm-hmm. for more than one more year, but I think that could make some sense for sure. Um, I think I, I, you know, I wonder about a team maybe like the Raptors. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly what they, you know, they they, they don't have a they don't really have anyone in inside right now. They're starting Kem Birch, who's a fine rotation center. He's a good rotation center, I would say, but not a guy you want to be starting on a team that's right. twenty and seventeen. So um, that that makes some sense to me. I, you know, I have to look a little more. Um, I know obviously the Mavs are a team that probably could. You could see what's up there. You know, you men- I mentioned, you know, Sabonis working when other teams double team Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. I mean, teams do that even more with Luca. So, right. Um, and yeah, that would be another team I think makes some sense. And you have, you know, you have a big man in Christoph Porzingis that, you know, can space the floor, right? That's kind of the key is if, if you're going to maximize Sabonis offensively, you need a guy who can, you know, stretch the floor alongside him in the front court. So, um, Sabonis has yeah. been up and down defensively. Obviously, that's, that's 
it's not a great pairing with with Miles Turner, but he, you know, it's not terrible, right? It's a it's a guy who's very very good defensively in space of floor at center. Kristaps um, is obviously much worse defensively, but I think you've seen some flashes at times, especially pre meniscus tear. I think you know when he tore meniscus in the bubble. So um, that's another team that makes some sense. The Grizzlies as well. I think that's a team that depending if they want to, you know, I'm sure we'll talk. I know we'll talk about them soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's a team that you know they traded Jonas Valanciunas. Looked at maybe they're going to go a little more toward youth development, but. The, the youth development works too well almost. Jaws better than last year. Desmond Bain's taken a big step forward. Seen mm-hmm. that Saul in the middle, but I think he's a guy that you could look to you know improve upon. So um, those are just a few teams I think make some sense, but uh, there certainly should be a market for him. I mean, he's a tremendously yeah. good player, as we've said. I think there are some pretty clean, clean fit, pretty clean fits. I would say relatively clean, and those are those are ones that make sense. But uh, yeah, I think the Grizzlies, you know, like I said, they've got a bunch of good players, some guys that could you know, help springboard a rebuild for Indiana. Um, I don't know how much they would want to, how many of those guys they want to move. And mm-hmm. um, you, you, we could get, you could get some zag for zag movement yeah. in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, they definitely feel like they have enough guys, too many guys, honestly, to to play all of them that could help other in other ways. And the guys are pretty young. So um, I think the Grizzlies might be my favorite option in the West and the Boston out, out East. But uh, definitely should be a pretty palatable market for, for Sabonis. Absolutely. The Gonzaga Grizzlies would be super fun if they could add DeMontis Sabonis, um, although it would cut significantly into playing time for the other Zags if they uh, obviously didn't move in that trade as well. Uh, Jackson and I got more Zags in the NBA, including, of course, Brandon Clark and Kelly and Tilly. We'll talk about them later in the show. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about GetUpside. Hey, Zags fans, Andy Patton here with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about, GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code SCORE and you'll get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code SCORE. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still joined today on Locked On Zach by Jackson Frank. We're going to move away from the DeMontis Sabonis conversation. Obviously, a lot we could talk about with the potential three-time All-Star or at least right in that conversation for another All-Star appearance for the big man. I want to talk about Gonzaga's rookies, though. Uh, obviously, a two players drafted in the top 15, I believe. Corey Kispert was 15th overall, and Jalen Suggs, of course, fourth overall pick in the draft. Uh, we can start with Jalen Suggs, obviously, a guy who has not played since late November. He suffered a thumb injury. It sounds like he's coming back pretty soon. I haven't seen anything definitive on that uh, last time I checked anyway, which was yesterday. So it sounds like he's going to be back soon. We saw glimpses of the player that he was at Gonzaga, glimpses of this guy who could be a legitimate stud on both ends of the floor uh, in the NBA. We also saw a player who looked like he was 19, like he looked really young and he he struggled with his shot pretty significantly. I don't know that he was used to being on a team that wasn't winning a lot of basketball games. That was a pretty big difference for him. I'm curious, uh, I know it's been a while since we've gotten to see him in game action, but I'm curious 
uh, if you have a lot of impressions on him uh, and kind of what he's looked like so far in the NBA. Yeah, the, the Magic honestly have been one of my favorite teams to watch, which sounds really funny, but they just have they have a lot of young guys. I like the way that Jamal Mosley's coaching them up. Um, mm-hmm. So I watched a lot of Suggs before, and obviously, you know, I wanted to monitor, you know, Jalen as well um, because yeah. you know I I've been watching him since you know he was at Minnehaha, and obviously watched a ton of Gonzaga. So uh, yeah, I think I, it's it's obviously by when anyone gets injured, like that's that's just mm-hmm. you know. That's the reality. But I think it was even more of unfortunate timing because I think he was starting to figure things yeah. out to an extent. Uh, you know, some of his biggest issues are whether it's, you know, lack of like a dynamic ball handling or even just ball control. One of those two or both of them has kind of been an issue for him. You saw that at Gonzaga at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely an issue. Like he just struggles to get down. He does not not struggles to get downhill. He actually did a pretty, but he struggles to make things happen once he gets into those spots. Yeah. Um, you know, and ball pressure can really, can really frustrate him. And then, you know, when he gets downhill, he has a tendency to want to jump off two feet and that's not always, you know, an option. Sometimes you've got to be able to jump off one and really make stuff happen there. Right. Um, and then obviously mentioned the jumpers was, you know, I mean, mostly cold, but you had some games, you know, where you hit, you hit four threes a couple of times. You know, I think he had a couple of games, at least two or three, you know, made, mm-hmm. made triples. So, um, you know, that, that's that's the upside. But I think, you know, what was encouraging to me is I feel like he was starting to do, he's, he's one of the things that people always talk about, right, was that he's a really, really high fuel player. Like, you just you just see that. And I think he was starting to figure out how to adapt. You know, he'd get in the lane and he would throw a little up fake and get the defender to bite and then finish on the other side quickly with, mm-hmm. a, with a reverse and like that. Um, the passing has still been pretty impressive. The defense, I think, you know, it's been okay. I think he's still learning. You know, he plays such a a, a risk risk heavy yeah. style at Gonzaga, and he was empowered to right because he because they want to get on transition. You know, get stuff get stuff happening with Joel Yai and Andrew Nemhard and Corey Kispert. Um, you know, may make those plays, but that's not as you know, what's not as tenable in, in the NBA. Play, uh, players are smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, they know how to burn that that style more, and so he would get to play. Let's say you know he's guarding a guy in the weak side corner. He would be playing all the way over to try to maybe like steal an entry pass or steal something, and, and they would cut or they would rotate up, and he would be all out of sorts. Yeah. Um, but you also saw times where he would he would he would kind of peek back, and he would notice them, you know, start to move, and so he would subtly shift where he was, and he'd get an interception, and make something happen there. So, um, like I I think I'm you know, it was less it was let it was not the start I anticipated. Like I thought he'd play a little better, but you were definitely starting to see stride and you know right around maybe the last i want to say six or seven games um yeah. you know starting he like he had a nice game against the knicks uh in mid-november um but over his last eight you know he was only shooting 38 percent from the floor which is about but like 34 percent from three is a little better i think mm-hmm. um about four assists about a steal so um not great numbers but the the games i did catch i felt like he was doing better to generate good shots for himself and others around the room or just not mm-hmm. around the room in general and so that that was really important for him. And um, even that Philadelphia game, you know, when he went out, I think maybe in the third quarter, um, yeah. I, I was pretty impressed. Obviously, I covered the Sixers as well, so I was I was catching that game live. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I'm sure it'll take him a little bit of time to, to shake off the rust because he's been out for about six weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely seen some pretty definitive signs of process progress. Excuse me, in terms of how he was processing things and and trying to make things happen as one of the prominent ball handlers on the team. Um, the other thing too is, you know, I think you know, not just the fact that he was adapting to, you know, an, an NBA speed, NBA NBA opponents, but also on a team where, you know, he was handling the ball less too. I think you know, like Gonzaga, at least you know, transition he was the guy right most of the time. Like he right. played in the half court, it was a pretty egalitarian offense. Whether it was Drew Timmy, Joel Yai, Andrew Nimhard, 
Um, but you know, he still, he still ran a lot of stuff in the half court, you know, pick and rolls, dribble handoffs, but Orlando, they have Cole Anthony who's off, who's having a really good year. Franz Wagner was really starting to figure things out, mm-hmm. um, who has figured things out, you know, to an extent, but he was really starting to pick it up as, you know, as Jalen Suggs also picked it up. So, yeah. um, that's also another, you know, thing, but i like the cutting as well. So, um, you know, probably a little less optimistic than, you know, not, I would say a little less the re- early returns weren't as good as I anticipated, but I think you were definitely trending, definitely trending upward, which is what you want to see. So, yeah. um, you know, it's funny. I was talking with a couple people that are like, I'm just like, I didn't forget about him, but um, you know, it's been so long that I'm just, I'm excited to watch yeah. him and you know, hope that we get to see continuation of maybe some of the progress he showed um, in you know, the last couple of weeks before he got injured, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it- Rookie development is so difficult, obviously, uh, because it doesn't. You always expect it to happen on a certain timeline, and certainly the higher the higher you are selected, the more likely I think people expect that you're going to be really good right away. And so you look at like a you know a guy like Chris Duarte who had this outstanding start to his career and was good immediately, versus somebody like the next player we're going to talk about, Corey Kispert, who is also a senior, you know, same age, similar, you know, not super similar style of players, but you know, the, the kind of the veterans of the first round and, and Duarte got off to this really hot start in his career and Corey Kispert for, you know, a variety of different reasons. Mostly he was not in the rotation. I think Washington shortly after they drafted him, then they, they then traded for half of the Lakers roster in order to get rid of Russell Westbrook. And I think that that really kind of shot Corey Kispert's chance of having a significant role right away. It, I mean, it, it crushed it. And then obviously Kuzma has been incredible, which has been part of the, the, this challenge for Kispert. But then he came out, he had that monster game at Madison square garden, 20 points, hit all of his threes. Now we're starting to see him be a lot more like the player that he was at Gonzaga. I don't know again, how much Washington you've been able to check out this year, but uh, what have you seen out of him uh, as he's kind of started to grow into his feel as an NBA player? Yeah, obviously the you know, Russell Westbrook trade was was tough for him because it, it added a lot of wing depth. You know, primarily mm-hmm. it was Contavious Caldwell Pope and Kyle Kuzma, two guys who have been pretty dang good for Washington. Yeah. And then they have you know a second year guy in Denny Avdia who's been very good as well. Um, but they but they could still use Kispert's service, like his, his ability mm-hmm. to be an off-pusher. They need more of that. Contavious Caldwell Pope brought that Kuzma on this ridiculous run as of late has brought it. Um, but that's not Denny's game. You know, Beal struggled from from three. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy they signed is not really a high level spot up shooter. He's a guy that likes to shoot off the dribble. He's going to do anything from deep. Um, but I think what really stood out to me was the start of his season was kind of a continuation of the national championship game for Kispert in the sense that, like, you know, those like Baylor is might have been the most you know had the most high level athletes and good players that you could mm-hmm. find in, in college last year yeah. and you know, kind of similar this way to an extent with different guys um yeah. and that was you know a a jarring difference for drew timmy Corey kisper jalen suggs and i think that was similar to what has happened to both you know jalen suggs and Corey kisper to an extent um but kisper too because you know for whatever reason he just didn't have the the rhythm from three for most of that yeah. Like I think maybe outside of the first round in the NCAA tournament, I feel like he he wasn't you know on top. I mean, I think like the games they won easily, like he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't the leading guy there. Yeah. Um, and so I think what he struggled with a little bit was like he has a bit of a slow release. Um, mm-hmm. He like some guys can just catch it here and then go up. He likes to bring the ball down, which is natural. A lot of guys do it. Sure, um, but he doesn't bring the ball as high as some other guys. Like I mean, you compare another you know high level shooter out of the draft, you know, or guy Desmond Bain. 
Um, he brings the ball higher, but when he finishes it off, then Kispert, Kispert's more on the face, Bain is above the head. Um, and so he just struggled to kind of get his shot off as cleanly. He was missing a lot of shots, not just long or short, off to the side, things like that that are, that are mm-hmm. kind of encouraging. But I think as of late, you've seen a little more, you know, he's maybe quickening his release a little bit, figuring out ways to just get a little more space um, because he's, well, the one thing that has been constantly encouraging, he's still a really, really heady off-ball player, whether it's moving to openings around the arc to try and find space, cutting, maybe setting a screen for a guy to open someone else up for a, for a cut or a three. Um, but over the last 13 games, a little better, 36% from three. Obviously, you draft him to be a guy who's 38, 39, 40, 41%. Right. Um, but a little better, I think, you know, those numbers are, are hurt a little bit by, you know, two of 10 over the last couple of games, of course, still matters. Like there's small samples in general, so you can't throw that out. Right. Um, but I think he's starting to figure things out a little bit. Obviously it's, it's unfortunate because you would hope that like what you want from him is to be like, right. He's one of those guys that you get, gets the kind of the NBA ready you know, kind of tailor-made role um, you know, because of his age. So, right. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's figured things out a little bit, um, but the speed, like just the speed of the game, the speed of the athletes has really hurt him. Like, I think he knows where to be a lot of times on defense as well, but he just mm-hmm. doesn't have lateral foot speed both on and off the ball to make every rotation, which is tough. So right. um, it, it's been a tough start, but, you know, I've tried to check in on, you know, Kispert and the Wizards every, you know, four or five, six days and just kind of mm-hmm. monitor his progress. And as you mentioned, he hasn't been in the rotation all the time. Um, as of late, he has been, I think the Wizards have been dealing with some COVID issues as well, which every, mm-hmm. team, every team is, which is the right. bummer. But um, I think he's, you know, he was in the rotation. He was, he's been kind of, in and out and in and so um right. that's that's never easy for anyone but i but i do feel like you know when i've caught a few of his games when he's had a, a solidified run over the last five or six weeks he's been better than he was early in the year and so um the hope is he can continue that and maybe snap out of the funk he's had the last couple of games and and you know because he does give them an you know, important you know presence with his, his movement and his off ball shooting ideally so I think that would be important, but yeah, just in general, the speed of the game has really been tough for him. And, and you know, if you again, any Gonzaga fan listening to the podcast, I'm sure watched that at national championship. And so, yeah, I would say it's been akin to that to an extent. But yeah, um, obviously, he has more time to adjust now. And um, you know, the hope is that the, the shots start to fall, and he really gives Washington a a dynamic that they can't find elsewhere, and that gives, that allows him to be a guy who gets you know 15, 18 minutes a night off the bench for them. Well, I'll be really interested to see how that rotation shakes out. Obviously, they're going to get some guys back. This COVID pause is not going to last forever, though. You know, they'll get, I think, Caldwell Pope's already back. I think they're getting, they're probably getting a lot of those guys back already. And then now, of course, they added Rui back. He's back in the mix. Um, You know, certainly Rui is not a three-point shooter the way that Corey is. They don't, they're not going to have similar roles, uh, at least offensively. But he does kind of play that small ball four role. Um, I assume he played, he didn't play a huge role his first game back because he's just kind of getting back in the swing of things after missing the start of the season with his uh, personal reasons. And now he's back and now I'm excited for that, but it's, it's another one of those situations where it impacts another Gonzaga player. And I'm curious if you think how much harder it's going to be for Corey to get minutes now that Rui's back in the mix. Yeah, that is interesting because I, if I, because I, I think Rui was still part of this front office's tenure right i think it was yeah maybe their first draft i um, think so. with i think tommy shepherd is is the guy running things over there in dc um but yeah it is interesting um because so I, I kind of wonder you know how they go about this because you know the other guy that they have out there who's maybe similar to Corey in some ways is davis bertans right but he struggled yeah. for most of the year as well um but obviously he has you know it, it, i'm i think it's interesting when you to see or to envision how they Approach it right because on one hand, Bertons has 
a little bit better track record. He wasn't great last year, but like you know he's a guy who can give you NBA minutes. Whereas Kisper, you don't know as much of that, but he's a guy who just spent the 15th pick on. Right. Um, have a little more, like, you know who Bertrand is. You don't know as much about Kispert. So it's, I'd be interested to kind of know how that dynamic goes in terms of who they who they give yeah. more minutes to. Um, Rui, you know, is it's interesting because, like, that's you look at their three last picks. It's it's Rui, Denny Avdia, and Corey, who right. all kind of play that three versus four. I'd say Denny has the biggest leg up because he's been pretty impressive defensively with his cutting and can handle the ball a little bit. Um, but it's three guys that are kind of fighting for minutes. And so, like, Obviously, you always want to take the guy that you believe is the best available player, usually. Right. Um, I say usually, not always, but, um, you know, fit is kind of maybe can be the differentiator. But uh, these three guys are kind of working against each other to an extent. And then if you throw Berton's a guy that just gave an extension to, you know, there's four guys there that you've shown a a level of commitment to. And Mm -hmm. now it's kind of like, okay, like, go figure it out. Like, like two of you are going to get minutes, not all of you. So it's an interesting approach there. I don't know, you know, kind of all the, the rationale behind it can be kind of conflicting, but. Um, it feels like Rui has a leg up. I mean, I didn't I didn't watch Rui's first first game back against the Magic, mm-hmm. but um, and I don't know how it unfolded. But Rui got 14 minutes. Corey got 11. I don't know if Corey's were more maybe more in development time when the game was out of reach, things like that. I don't know if it, if Rui was the other way around there. I'd have to go catch it. Um, I guess the Wizards only won by two, so I don't know. I guess they both played. <laughs> I, I could have known that at least. My goodness, he's prepared for these things, but. Um, it's, my my instinct would tell me right now that Rue would have the leg up just because you know he's got a little more cachet as a guy who's shown more, um, right. probably about the same age as, as Corey, right? Or the, the, yeah, Rue is Rue is a year older, right? Because I guess yeah, because Rue would be Rue is my class that comes out and Corey's a year behind me, so that would make sense. Yep. Um, but Rue is a guy who's shown a little more in the NBA. Was a lottery pick, I think it was the ninth overall pick in twenty nineteen. Yep. So, um, and I think you know his ability to kind of be, be a face-up scorer, attack the glass a little more, be a better finisher around the room, which is his size and length advantage over Corey, would probably be the reason that I w- I would see him getting a leg up. But also, I just think Rui is he's probably a little more a little more juice to his game, I guess, for lack of a nuanced term. Sure, yeah. Um, that maybe this team could really could really benefit from because mm-hmm. uh, you know just you know Corey's only played they've only played twenty five maybe thirty games for Corey. Um, he hasn't played every night, but. Um, just hasn't given you that high-level off-ball shooting that maybe you would want. If you're shooting 40% from three or 38%, and you're always trending really, really well upward, then I could see you. I could see the Wizards kind of saying, "Okay, let's continue to let him ride." But 36% is the sample we have that's encouraging now, and the defense has been okay at times, um, but not great. And the cutting's been right. good, but like not incredible. So, I think the other thing I want to add about Corey, though, is I, f- I feel like he's been a little better inside the arc as of late as well, just kind of yeah. a little more craft. So. Um, I don't know if the numbers backed it up, but in the games I've seen have been a little more encouraged. So um, Rui, I think, is the guy who's going to get the first first crack if you had to choose between one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a tough spot for both of them because, as I mentioned, there's four guys off the bench who the administration or the front office has shown a level of commitment to in the last last couple of years. And so you just, you can't play four you can't play four guys who play the three and the four off the bench. You just, you just, no, because none of them are going to handle it right. None of them. It's not like you have some great lead ball and there was a six, seven, six, eight player. They're all guys who, are, you know, probably complementary roles offensively, even defensively. Right. Denny maybe is a little more of a elite guy defensively when he plays. But I hope that provides some insight. But yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing to to watch shake out as you know. I think the Wizards play again Tuesday. I think right now. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, but yeah, I'll be interested to kind of see what happens there with how the minutes shake out. As you mentioned, as guys kind of start to get back. I think Aaron Holiday might be the only. I don't know if Aaron Hall is out of the rotation, but he didn't play on on Sunday. He's a guy who was in the rotation at times. So, yeah, it should be interesting to see. But yeah, Rui would be my pick between the two Gonzaga Gonzaga Wizards. 
Absolutely. And it's it's funny that we continue to have conversations about Zags taking playing time from Zags. That's what I want to talk about in the third segment, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, and the Killian Tilly, Brandon Clark kind of pairing and how they've been utilizing those two guys recently in Memphis. Uh, before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, Bet Online. Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still chatting with Jackson Frank at Locked On Zags. We are now going to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. We've teased it a couple of times already, of course. Uh, you kind of already touched on this, Jackson, but before we talk about the specific Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly uh, rotation and how those guys have been used, you watch more NBA than me, so I don't know you know, if you've got some insight into some teams that I'm not thinking of, but I, I think Memphis is the most fun team in the league right now. I'm curious if you agree, because they have been a blast to watch lately. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, if anyone, I mean, obviously it's fun is always, you know, the most objective term, but, sure. <laughs> um, I, but like, I think that's a totally reasonable answer. It'd probably be up there mm-hmm. for me. I think, you know, the Cavs, I think to me are still pretty fun, less so yeah. after the Ricky Rubio injury, unfortunately, which is a huge yeah. bummer. Um, the Bulls have been fun. You know, yeah. I think the Hornets are pretty fun with the, the style they play, but I mean, you, you say I got to watch one team the rest of the year uh, and I would still be, you know, my, my finances would be intact still. Um, mm-hmm. I think really would be it for sure. They have, just and yeah. it's not just that like they're fun they have a lot of guys who are fun in different ways right you know mm-hmm. jaw is, is the high flying guy who makes everything happen you know in the open court and and finishes mm-hmm. all these plays and then you have his backcourt mate desmond bain who's a little little more control not control he's a little slower pace to play and he, he snipes yeah. everything from deep uh is a solid passer too and then you have a guy like Stephen adams who wouldn't be the guy i would think third but like pretty fun mm-hmm. passer makes things happen yeah. in the offensive class um you know you know so I'm sure there's guys I'm missing, of course. Dylan Brooks and his mm-hmm. – I mean, he's out for a little bit, unfortunately, with, a, I think, a sprained ankle, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. But um, just the way he plays, always always confident, always getting under guys' skin, playing really awesome on-ball defense. So mm-hmm. uh, D'Anthony Melton is fun as well. So, yeah, I think absolutely they you – know, I think I think if you pulled, you know, people who consider themselves NBA fans, I feel like Memphis would be the would the, be the, the winner right now in terms of that that label. And I – I can't dispute it whatsoever. Not that I would dispute it, you know, regardless, but I would right. I think it's a pretty easy pick. They've been really, really fun and just a team that continues to find itself in, in awesome games and, and just fun and not just awesome, not like close games, but just like really, really in, enjoyable and captivating games, which is what you want to see. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we talk about Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly, of course, uh, you know, we didn't mention them in that conversation, but they have both been a lot of fun to watch this year. Clark has been really good lately. And we touched on this a little bit when we were talking about Sabonis, but Brandon Clark's kind of usage through his first two and a half NBA seasons has been a bit mystifying to me. Obviously, he fell you know, quite a bit in the draft because of concerns about his age and his uh, standing reach was pretty limited and his I think his just overall arm wingspan was was pretty short uh, which are understandable concerns uh, for a guy who whose offensive profile 
really didn't match the modern NBA in a lot of ways. I can understand why there was some concern, but Memphis kind of snatched him up at the, I think 21st, I believe is where he went in the draft. Uh, and then he had a great, great rookie year, which, you know, for a guy who was at advanced age and coming off a great season, it wasn't too surprising. And then it seemed like Memphis didn't know what to do with him almost like they, they tried to turn him into an outside shooter, which was just horrible and he's not good at it. And they, I think they messed with his shot form, which made it even worse. And they seemed to be kind of utilizing him in ways that don't match with his skill set. at least from somebody who I didn't watch a lot of full Memphis games last year. So I don't know how much of that was actually accurate. And then he got benched completely in the playoffs. Now it seems like they finally started to kind of figure out, who this player is and what kind of role he can he can play. But it was very odd to me that Memphis, again, a team who, who drafted him and ostensibly, you know, had done research on him before he joined the team, seemed to struggle to figure out what kind of player they wanted him to be. Yeah, so I think I think there are a few things at hand, at least from based off what I my read of the rookie year version of Brandon Clark, like as you mentioned, was electric uh, mm-hmm. and really good. And then maybe the, the fall off we saw, which, you know, cratered as you mentioned with not being a rotation at all in the playoffs unfortunately um you know when the prologue was an underwhelming second year compared to his rookie year um i believe he suffered a like a groin or a hip flexor injury in the Mm -hmm. in the offseason after his rookie year and i think based off my viewing like i just don't think he was as explosive right that was one of like not just his ability to jump high but his ability to jump quickly and explode for right whether it was the floater or, you know, catching lobs or just finishing plays, you know, in the pick and roll. So I think that hurt him a little bit. But then also, yeah, whether it was Memphis suggesting to tweak a shot or his trainers or him going about it, his form looked different. Like it looked different from where he was at Gonzaga, which is already a big stride from where it was at San Jose State. Right. And um, and so I thought it was good after his rookie year. And I think he shot 36% from three, like good enough that if you needed the space to the corners and the ball swung his way, you would feel okay with him taking that shot. Right. Um, and then it got, he had a little bit of like a hitch or some some sort yeah. of delay in it, um, which I think is still there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, now instead, he doesn't really take three. He's taken about, I think, 15 or 14 this year. He's only hit three of them. Maybe, I don't know. He's shooting 13% from three. Right. Um, but he looks back to his really, really spry, lively self as a play finisher around the rim. The mm-hmm. floater is back. I mean, we saw that floater at Gonzaga. We saw it as a rookie at Mem- at Mem- in Memphis, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. shooting him with 70% on two pointers, which is a ridiculous number. Um, you know, his true shooting is about, I think it's about the same as rookie year, but the league average true shooting is a little lower. So it's even better, relatively speaking. Um, the defense has been impressive moves. Well, he's, you know, good, good help side finisher, helps side rim protector. So, um, you know, it just feels like he's, he's back to the, the ridiculously good athlete that maybe wasn't present as much because of maybe an injury or two. And then mm-hmm. he doesn't take threes anymore because they're not, they're not going in. Um, right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it, it feels like similar to the guy we saw at Gonzaga for one year, obviously in a smaller mm-hmm. role. Um, right. But that's, but you know, he's not taking threes. He's finishing everything around the rim. Right. Playing pretty good defense. Not the dominant defender was at Gonzaga because, sure. you know, if he was, then he would be a starter. Like he just, <laughs> I mean, it's one, right. of the, one of the best defensive season we've seen in, college basketball as new modern college basketball um i'm not not a story on that but i'll, I'll say it <laughs> like, I think that's fine um yeah. <laughs> so i think yeah it's just a combination of realizing that yeah the jumper's not there let's just stop taking him not and so you know whether that's on him whether that's on the coaching staff everyone deserves credit who's involved with that and then just feels like he's a better he's back to his the athletic profile we saw at gonzaga in his rookie year whether it's health or whatever else is at play and so, yeah, it's it's been really fun because yeah, year two was was fine for like right for fine for twenty first pick, but 
um, for a guy who made an all rookie team, you know, in year mm-hmm. one, it was definitely more disappointing. And as we mentioned, you know, it, it finished with him barely playing in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what ha- was going to happen. You know, maybe as we said, Memphis could be a team that, you know, looks to, you know, improve its high end talent and Clark could be a guy who entices a rebuilding team. Again, it's mm-hmm. a little different because he's 25 or 26, right? So yeah, classic third year player. Um, they spent four years in college, but um, definitely a guy I think could help a lot of teams. And obviously something Memphis, I'm not, not saying at all he's going to get traded, but mm-hmm. um, really, really nice to see him get back to the guy we saw and be even better, honestly. I, mean, yeah. he, I think a little bit on both ends. So um, really, really enjoying him. You know, I think, I think I caught Memphis first game of the year uh, mm-hmm. against the Cavs and, you know, I was watching him and he got minutes and I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is the Brennan Clark. I remember that not, not the one last year. Like he had right. like one play where he just jumped out of the gym for a finish or got really high for a floater and mm-hmm. they made a couple of defensive plays. I was like, okay, Brennan Clark is back. Like I don't want to be too, too hasty with that proclamation, but just, just the way yeah. he was operating moving on the floor. I was like, this is the guy that I, that I became a huge fan of at Gonzaga and really enjoyed watching as, as a rookie. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, we got to move on to the last Memphis player. Uh, of course, that's Killian Tilly, who was starting over Brandon Clark briefly. I don't know if that is still the rotation that they're utilizing. Obviously, Tilly was perhaps the most notable Gonzaga player outside of Kevin Pangos to take advantage of extra playing time because of either injuries or COVID situations. Obviously, Pangos stepped briefly into a starting role for Cleveland, which didn't go exceptionally well, unfortunately. Um, but Tilly kind of parlayed uh, some added time to really, really stand out in a significant way. And now, you know, a, a fully healthy, I believe, or close to fully he- healthy Memphis team is playing him pretty significant minutes. And, you know, he's a guy who I think anybody who watched him in college, whether they watched him, you know, every single game like I did or watched him just periodically, I think you could tell he was an NBA player. It was just a matter of whether he was going to stay healthy. And there was some, you know, very valid reasons to be concerned about that. And and now, you know, through this season, he has been healthy. He's been the, you know, six foot 10 outside shooter that you wanted him to be. He's been, at least from my viewing, better defensively than I thought that he was going to be at the NBA level. And now he looks like a guy who, I was going to say he looks like a guy who's going to play his way off a two-way contract, but he already did that. He did. He got a two-year, four, $4 million guaranteed contract, which is fantastic for a guy who has been dealing with so many injuries. Uh, it's it's fantastic for anybody to get a bag and to get a guaranteed contract. But for a guy like him, I mean, it, it, what an incredible story to to go from not being drafted in a year where I thought he probably should have been drafted, but again, understand why there was some trepidation to being a, a, you know, a guaranteed contract NBA player. It's been a really remarkable run for him and he's, he's absolutely earned it with his play on the court. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, five weeks into the year, I think he'd played like, I want to say 20 minutes and he didn't do much mm-hmm. last year. And yeah, and so, like, honestly, like I, I was worried that they, you know, maybe they might cut him to find someone, you know, maybe find a guy sure. that they, like they could rely on more. Uh, and then, you know, injuries and the hit and the, the Grizzlies had their own, you know, out with with COVID absences, you know, as every team has, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and and he stepped up, and um, you know, he he, start, he started a few games. Um, they've played him the three a lot, which is really interesting. Yeah, um, I, I don't have the lineup data in front of me, but I feel like that happened barely at Gonzaga, and mm-hmm. um, obviously that you know, as you know, there's people are a little bigger and, and taller in the NBA, but right. um, you know, I never I never I never thought playing the three and and doing well um unfortunately he's like barely played against the lakers i don't know for it looks like the grizzly little back to full health kyle anderson played and uh mm-hmm. and was back but um yeah i think as of late the jumper's been a little bit 
to get three threes against the Clippers. Um, you know, I think he's been a good off-ball mover. You know, he's always a great connective passer. Gonzaga, you know, not a guy that's going to be, you know, leading the leading the pick and roll, but a guy who can, you know, flash to the middle of a zone or flash, you know, high post and makes a path from there. I think he's been solid in that regard. Moves his feet pretty well. Like, you know, for a guy who's asked to play the three and navigate screens at six ten and quite a few injuries that have, you know, like if you go back and watch freshman sophomore year killing Tilly versus who he is now, the level of fluidity is way different. Like he just, a yeah. lot of injuries derailed him, but I think he's handled that pretty well. Like, you know, like I don't think I would have said he could succeed at playing the three um, mm-hmm. in the NBA. And, you know, when he was at, when he was a prospect at Gonzaga. So I think that's been cool to watch him be smart off there with off ball defense. And um, but sort of a little bit inside the arc, like he just isn't a super quick player. And I think he's obviously not a super strong player. This has hurt him, but yeah, I'll be curious. You know, I think, about to tip off on Tuesday against the um I'm curious to see if he plays again plays again but um obviously a bit of a bummer that he's not he's not playing he didn't play the last game played 24 seconds against the Lakers but mm-hmm. um at the very least he's a guy that Memphis trusts to step up and play significant minutes when they're down the guys in the front court yep um and as you mentioned you know has a guaranteed contract now which I I was pretty bummed about because Killian's a guy that I really really enjoyed watching you know obviously same class as me at Gonzaga so mm-hmm. um and I just love the way, like, I just like guys who are really good shooters and good passers and play with a level of feel, a really high feel. And so, um, with me, and so it's cool to know that at least he's in the NBA for you know, a couple of years at the very least. And yeah. um, you know, maybe, maybe his, his spot as a long term rotation guy isn't in Memphis because as we mentioned they have so many good players right. uh, up and down the roster. But uh, at the very least, it seemed like the last five weeks showcased that he can give you good minutes on a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, Jumper's going to have to continue. Like he's going to be have to get, be a guy that shoots, you know, better than thirty three percent from three. Um, there's a little more inside the arc, but um, I think you can at least see signs of progress um, for him. And so, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, I'm very curious to monitor him the rest of the year, um, kind of how his role, you know, fluctuates and what what happens there as Memphis continues to to probably just thrive because it's a really good team. But yeah. um, it's very much a positive now compared to six weeks ago. It looked like he might. As I said, it looks like a guy who might, you know, find this. And so at the very least, he's got some track really nice. Absolutely. Jackson, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about these guys. There's so many more guys we could talk about, which is an amazing thing about Gonzaga's basketball program right now. We didn't even touch on, you know, injured guys like Kelly Olenek or Zach Collins. We didn't really talk about Joel Iai, but perhaps we'll have you on another time to talk about some of those guys or talk about uh, the guys on Gonzaga's current roster who are almost certainly going to be NBA players in the future. Uh, thanks again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said at the top, it's it's nice that we can spend an entire podcast that goes more than 10 yeah. minutes talking about Gonzaga players and discuss them in depth rather than maybe this is the year they, they get a break because you know they actually are playing. So appreciate having me on and always happy to uh, talk to Gonzaga. Appreciate it. All right, that is going to do it for me. And for Locked On Zags today, we got BYU coming up on Thursday. So plenty of coverage ahead of that Thursday night game, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Of course, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not yet already. Uh, Finally, thanks again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.